Welcome to a classic big interview. This is where we dig into the vaults and choose an episode from the early days of the show. This time, we've gone all the way back to season 2017-18 and opted for one of our absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Do enjoy. Here's Paul Dickov, a Scottish striker probably best known for his time at Manchester City. However, today you can hear him talk about starting off at Arsenal and believe me, a very, very different Arsenal from the one we see right now. Paul will tell you about the list of teams who wanted him as he approached his 16th birthday and why his dad was so keen on urging him to leave the family home in Livingston in Scotland and go to London to change his life, to change his expectancy. Then it's George Graham. You're going to love these stories. Gunnar or not, it's an inside view of the classic age of Arsenal. You're going to hear about Main Road, that playoff final, and what Paul finds most thrilling about this current version of Manchester City. If you're not a City supporter, I still think you'll be interested in a glimpse of a point in that club's history not so long ago when they were seconds away from another season in the third tier. If a certain Scottish striker, yes, initials PD, doesn't score, Gwyneth Paltrow never meets John Hanna, and perhaps Pep Guardiola never finds Phil Foden either. Okay, you have to watch films to understand that sliding doors reference. Listen to this interesting, sharp, intelligent, funny storyteller who was once a fine professional footballer. So, the big interview doesn't usually start with me boasting, but I remember when I was allowed into the dressing room where the World Cup winning side was in 2010, I thought to myself, how many Scots? And then I had to count again, (laughs) because my guest at the moment... Paul Dickov is one of a hardy band of Scots who have played in a World Cup final, something to which we'll come in a second. Paul, thank you for doing the big interview. Thanks for having me. We only ever interview people that we admire, and you sparked that definitely from quite some time ago. But let's start by talking about, in this episode, we're going to try and tease out your beliefs and your mentality. Yeah. Attitude, which, from my perspective, you had in abundance, matched with intelligence too. So, if I if I put to you, and I'd give you tons of examples of your own life, which you probably know quite well, that I saw not just a competitive mentality, but a bright mentality, and also somebody who, in given moments, given big moments in your career, had ice cold mentality. Where did the thing that drove your professional career, talent aside? Where did that come from? I don't know if it's the, the Scottish in me, my upbringing. Dad was a major influence on me from a young, young age. Always going on to me about being the best you can. Mm-hmm. How he would never, ever have a go at me for doing my best, for trying my hardest, for made mistakes or I wasn't good enough or things didn't quite... Well, not just in football, in my schoolwork, everything that I was doing. And from quite an early age, that was something that, that he, he drummed into me. And I remember that probably a big thing, I was about 11 or 12... Um, I was brought up a Celtic supporter um, at that time. In Scotland, had Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, Dundee United, Hibs, Hearts, all wanting me to go and train with them, all 
to sign schoolboy forms. Wait, 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 wait. Aberdeen could have had you. And with Sir Alex and Archie Knox um, was the manager we'll at the time. We'll come back to this. And we'll come back to the Sir Alex thing as well, him being manager at Aberdeen. And my dad had this, look, I was had a fantastic upbringing, mm-hmm. but not, not the wealthiest, not mm-hmm. in the nicest area at some times. And my dad just had this thing that if I was going to have a professional career, which is crazy to say at 12, but looking back now, 11, 12, 13, because you, you never know what path you're going to go down, that he wanted to, well, bluntly get out of Scotland. I believe that I would benefit hugely of, of getting away from the friendship group I was in at the time, mm-hmm. um, away from any distractions, and going away and actually leaving home and growing up. And I was down at Man United on trial, I was, at, I was here in Man City. Gosh. Tottenham um, and Arsenal when I first went down when I was 12 years old. So there's a level of talent at 11-12 where not only do clubs want to test out the possibility of having your services, but your dad knew, or at least your dad is thinking about a professional career. That's pretty astonishing. I think it was purely because of the interest in the amount of scouts and the amount of clubs that were calling him up, you know, and that was something he never ever pushed me, he wasn't one of these dads that were living his dreams through no. me or anything like that. You know, I just think the phone on a Monday night, I would be at Helenvale in Glasgow training with Aberdeen. Yeah. On a Tuesday night, I'll be, I think it was Harriet Watt University training with Hearts. And on a Wednesday night, I'll be in Edinburgh again training with whoever. And, you know, it was literally every night you'd be out and then I'll play my school team on the Saturday, my boys' club team on the Sunday. And that's, that's just the way it was. It does make me laugh now when I hear kids saying they're tired for the amount of football that they play, but that's... Because you'd have been six different. or seven competitive games a week. Yeah, and training, yeah. And mm. training. Um, but you loved that. That's all you knew. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you weren't doing that, you were out... Well, that literally was jumpers for goalposts. You know, you are out playing. I was, you know, right pinning the backside to my older brother and hanging around <laughs> with his mates and I always wanted to play football with them. And, that, that was and they let you? Um, begrudgingly, yeah. Um, and how did they treat you once you did play? When I was younger, they used to kick 10 bales out of me, which I think toughened me up a little bit as well. Um, and that was usually my older brother as well, because he didn't want his, his little brother hanging on with his mates. It wasn't... Or showing him up. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's just the way it was. And I first went down to Arsenal when I was 12, and I realised then, from me, sort of 13, 14, being a biggish fish within the clubs in Scotland... Going down to Arsenal, and it was every school holiday I would go down, that had a lot to do because the players that were there were, were so talented, ability wise, physique wise, mm-hmm. compared to me at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, quick, strong, because Arsenal had the best of everything else. And the difference between Arsenal and when I went to the other clubs in England was I remember going to Tottenham, um, I was back to back weeks, I must have been about 14. And I spent one week at Tottenham, and I think I played about five minutes football in actual game time because they had everybody there at the same time. There was about 40, 50 kids, all the same age group. Mm-hmm. When you went to Arsenal, they would stagger it. So there would be myself, maybe another lad from Scotland, a couple of lads from Ireland, one from Wales, maximum, that would integrate in with their under-14s that would be their academy. They could team. actually see you, they could watch and let you have some time to show whatever you had. Yeah, but you, you got every opportunity to go and do it, whereas at other clubs, I understand why. If everybody's mm-hmm. got the same school holidays and they want to have a look at everybody mm-hmm. from all over England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales there's, there's going to be but it's a kind of from Spurs' point of view and others who practice that it's yeah. a kind of scattergun approach yeah yeah, of course it is you, you might miss a gem yeah you know and it's, it wouldn't happen now no doubt about that but that was the, the one thing that um, appealed me at Arsenal Arsenal came um, to my parents when I was 14 and he couldn't sign schoolboy forms with an English club until you were 16 mm-hmm. um, and they just no 
nothing signed, nothing anything else, just not a good will would I stopped training with the clubs I was doing in Scotland, stopped going to other clubs and there'll be an apprenticeship there when I was sixteen. You said two huge things, or at least it seems that way to me. As I've gone on and learned in my life from my dad, you watch football, you listen to people. One that your dad at a young age said, so long as you're giving everything you've got, that you're trying to be the best you can, mm-hmm. I'll allow you scope for mistakes. Yeah. That's, I think that's quite far-sighted, and I also think it's quite unusual. Yeah, it is, and it's something I, I took with me all, all the way through to now, not just through my career. You know, and it's something I, I, I drum it into my kids, you know, just, if you can be the best you can all the time and work as hard as you can, you will make mistakes, but nine times out of ten, you'll, you'll get it right. But you've given them freedom to take creative risks. Yeah, and you've got to put yourself out there to do that, though. You know, and... and that's one of those. Don't put yourself out there. Nothing's going to happen. And the idea about it's necessary to break the patterns of either Scotland or where you were in Scotland, that's also quite firm because it effectively means goodbye to a son that uh, for both your parents at a very young age. Yeah, it was, and it, look, it was it was difficult to start off with. You know, I've came from Livingston, a little town in Scotland, and all of a sudden I'm on my own I'm in London. And first six months, I hated it. I absolutely hated it because. For a couple of reasons. One, because I missed home, obviously. Mm. Um, the second one, I was treading water because I very quickly realised, I know we started in the, the Youth World Cup, 1999, under 16, got to the final, scored the goal, the next big thing to come out of Scotland. And I remember going down to Arsenal pre-season and feeling so much out of my depth. Um, but it was the best thing that happened to me because I went down, a little bit cocky, I've just scored the World Cup final, played in front of 70,000 people. And I soon realised in training that if I, if I relied purely on ability alone, I wasn't good enough to be in that environment. Because mm-hmm. there were some unbelievable kids in Arsenal mm-hmm. at that time. year above us, Andy Cole mm-hmm. was probably the best example. Mm-hmm. And Ray Parler in my year. Um, and a lot of other very, very talented um, boys. And um, I was really struggling. And it all comes back to finding a way and being the best you can. And if I tried to match Andy Cole, mm-hmm. for instance, in ability goal scoring if I tried to do what he I couldn't do it so I had to very quickly find a way and it all goes back to the work ethic closing people down being horrible being different from from everybody else you were that self-analytical then I'm not saying that you you know that this comes to you retrospectively you you were you know in the lonely time um, in digs or wherever you were going through your own head about the things that you had to add or change to keep up or to, to overtake yeah, others absolutely without a shadow of a doubt because I think spending a lot of time on your own in digs in a room you probably have too much time to, to it reflect. can go one of yeah, two ways exactly yeah. I mean a big turning point for me was we played still the first year we played Chelsea at London Colney um, South East Counties game and I was sub mm-hmm. um, first year struggling a little bit I was beginning to get a little bit I don't know if people say throughout my career I did a little bit anger issues on the pitch and in training and but it was through frustration of me not being at the level that the other ones were at. Um, and I was on the pitch about two minutes, balls went over the top. It was Frank, Frank Sinclair, funnily enough. Um, I, th- I think him in, Franks came from nowhere. Um, and I just lost my head. And, and looking back, it was funny, it wasn't funny at the time. I just booted him up the bum. Mm-hmm. Ball was nowhere, I just didn't, I was just that frustrated. And <laughs> Yeah, no, I, and, I think the rush of frustration, I think anybody can understand that. Yeah. Not, not everybody does it, yeah. but I think you're ringing a bell with everybody listening. Yeah, and, and, Pat, and Pat Rice, who's oh. youth team manager, huge influence on me, Rice, yeah. took me straight off. Well, it must have been the pitch about two minutes. Mm. And we had a chat with all the staff, and they basically said, look, you're here for a reason. We rate you, but you keep doing what you're doing at the minute, we're sending you home. 
Mm. Now, loads of things were going through my head then. One, I didn't want to let my dad down. No. I didn't want to let Arsenal down because they were taking this chance on me. And the embarrassment of going back to my mates at a young age when mm-hmm. played in the World Youth Cup final, contract to Arsenal, he's moving away, he's going on to bigger things, and then having to go back and explain why at a young age I didn't mm-hmm. want that to happen. And that's when the penny, the penny dropped. And everything I was doing in training, in games, and mentally I had to change. I don't want to be over-analytical, but it's given that you were that bright at that age about yourself and about your career and about your surroundings. Did you have any idea then that you still had to retain some of that genie in a bottle? That, that yeah, but some of that was going to yeah. serve you as you went on. And that's something Pat Rice used to speak to me about all the time as a youth team player. He said, look, we never, ever, ever want to take that away from you. Mm. We've just got to channel it in the right direction. And realise that when you do channel it right, that sometimes, all right, you might not be able to do things with the ball that other players can do, mm. but you're as important, if not more important, to the team when you're doing that. Because people, when you channel it right and you do it right, people don't like playing against you and mm. you'll have a long career. And I remember George Graham at the time, I didn't quite know what he meant, but he had a conversation with me about how I'd have a long career in football. Never said at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. So I think he, he probably knew as much as I was in the squad a lot and George introduced me to the first team and he loved having me around it. I think maybe that level at that time when I mean, there was the rights, the bear camps and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I kept going the way I was going, I, I would end up having a long career in the game. George Graham, you know, George is Hollywood. George mm-hmm. is elegance, isn't he? Yeah. George, one of the things that we found out, I don't know if you know this, but George and Terry Venables were so close that George was best man to Terry in his wedding on the Saturday morning of a North London derby. Mm, that's right, yeah. And then George went out and spanked Terry 4 yeah, right. <laughs> you like, It's like something out of Butch and Sundance. It's mm-hmm. definitely from the Hollywood era, but like spruce and elegant, oh, strong and bright and yeah. intelligent. Give us your picture oh, of George Graham then. Um, now or then? Definitely let's start with then because I suspect it's a changed yeah, picture. Just <laughs> utmost respect, you know, even from a young age. I think when... You're in the youth team and you look how much the first team players respect the manager mm. and listen to the manager. You know that the guy's some, something special. You know, he was, he was very hard, I must admit, and I've never spoken to him about this, you might ask him. He did have a little soft spot for me. Okay. I think the Scottish boy mm. coming down to England, 16, he'd done the same thing. Yeah. You know, so I think he, he knew the sort of things I was going through. It was tough on me. Uh-huh. But I knew... He liked my attitude and my enthusiasm and my love for the game and and the fact I was so focused and wanted to be a footballer. You know, he never came out and told me that, but I, I knew that that was the one thing that he liked about me. You do be, begin to make an impact and, and you do begin to play for Arsenal. Um, is it because it wasn't meant to be? Is it because the competition you faced was outrageous? Is it because of outside elements that... You didn't do maybe five, six, seven years as an Arsenal first team player because it does seem in retrospect that it could have been that way. You could have probably, what you proved later in your career, attitude, work ethic, ability to score, team mentality, it could have happened. Yeah, I got to the point where I was 20, 22. Um, obviously, George had left, Bruce Reoch had come in, um, then Bruce had left, Arsenal was taken over. and talking about that actual time I had to realise 22 I'm not a regular in the first team 
not playing a plate. I think it made about 16, 17 starts, 20 odd sub appearances, travelling with the squad, being 15th man, whatever it was mm. at the time, on the bench, off the bench, and in cup games coming out. And uh, deep down, I knew that at some point I was going to. I was going to have to move on. It was difficult because all my working career, all my, from when I was 16, 7 years, living on my own, growing up, life experiences, football education, had all been at Arsenal. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything different. But it came to a point where I, I just wanted to play, you know, and I just wanted to make a career for myself. And if I'd stayed any longer, I don't think I would have done. You know, Arsenal was just taking over. I don't know if you remember at the time, it was Grand Pissette. Mm-hmm. He had to finish his contract at Grand Pissé, although he'd been announced as Arsenal manager. That's right. And through Stuart Houston, who was the caretaker at the time, Stuart came to me and said, Look, Arsenal would like you to stay. He wants to say good things about you. I've obviously spoke, he wants to have a good look at all players, Gosh. not just yourself. But he does realise, because I've been speaking to Stuart, Jordi Armstrong, God bless him as well. Oh, another legend. Um, yeah. yeah. So, like Rocky, so what, what a guy. How, yeah. how did you come into so much contact with him? Jordi was my reserve team manager okay. for about four seasons. Mm-hmm. Just brilliant. We used to argue like mm-hmm. um, in training. He used to cheat all the time. The ball would be five <laughs> yards out. And if he was joining in, he would play on. And Do you know what I mean? And I think that's good for you. It was, it was brilliant. And... I'd been speaking to Jordy and Stuart a lot and just saying, I, just, I need to go and play now. You know, and, and they were agreeing with me. And Stuart said, Arsenal's not going to leave the decision down to you. Hmm. Um, and I was actually getting ready to leave Colney to go down and talk, sign for Southampton under Graham Souness. Mm-hmm. And Jordy called me and said, look, um, Alan Ball has just called me from Man City. And I knew whether Alan Ball called Jordy or Jordy because we got on so well and he had a soft spot for me. Probably called Wally up. I think. Looking out for you a little bit. Saying, look, nice. he's, he's nice. going down just to mark your card and know you like him. There you go. And before I knew it, I was in Mottram Hall with Franny Lee and Alan Ball signing the contract. And that was as, as, as quickly as it happened. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Well, you need to tell me how many days we'd need to cover you and Manchester City. <laughs> so let's try and be selective. In fact, you can, yeah. if we're dancing, you can lead yeah. on this one. I know what I'm interested in. And I, w- I want to take it in reverse a little bit because, and if any stage I go into blind alley and you say, no, I've got more important or interesting yeah. things to tell you, then just say so. Yeah. This is your podcast. When we arrived here, the taxi driver, our taxi driver, yeah jumped out and wanted a photo with you you know you're literally loved and adored mm. if I hadn't been for that Aguero then you were the Scottish Aguero we're joking could. I celebrated that goal more than I did my I own I bet you probably yeah. did the thing I want to do is I want to go back to automatismos and think about Wembley in 99 yeah. and tell me if you don't remember but I'm sure you've watched it often enough but as you're playing Gillingham which you know you must have been asked a billion times the thing that stands out to me it's not necessarily that it's a chum of yours in goals or that it's quite a big moment for the club. I don't know who the Gillingham defender is that gets into the goat and between him and Sean, the ball comes to you like a, He's you know, a wet baby seal. He's still claiming I was an assist to go. Yeah. You see, I, I, I need yeah. respect yeah. saver. Grasping it didn't look like that to me. Yeah. Sean, sorry. But the ball rockets at you. Mm-hmm. And if it was a fluke, you can tell me. And if you don't remember, you can tell me. But your touch is just sublime. It's velvet. Mm-hmm. And it's off the inside cushion of your right foot just to give you a little bit of room for the shot you've got no reaction time and it's a beautiful touch and if you want we'll talk about the nicknames I don't know how many nicknames you've got yeah. is there a list quite long and probably that we couldn't some of their pesky yeah, and what, I, some I, we probably couldn't say anyway. I, I would have said silky yeah. you know that touch was gorgeous I've been called a lot of things and I've been called yeah. silky before I tell you well it was a silky touch yeah. am, I, am I overselling the moment or, t- or can you remember the moment or could you go back to it and I think about it I've had this conversation with loads of people saying can you remember the goal can you remember the celebration did you plan it I can't remember anything about it nothing it's just I better put it down to practice yeah and training and I went through went through a stage that season well I went through a lot of stages in my career where I couldn't hit an arm and I was, I was struggling in front of goal and Joe the gaffer he, he worked with me and I'd, I'd done little things after training with the it was ball. Joe Royal who'd yeah. been a, a big striker himself for Everton and Man City absolutely and what, what a manager and what a guy as well um, and we worked at it a lot of it was firing the ball into me, touch, hit. I even came up with this little thing. If I was shooting and training, I was doing my thing. And sometimes I would say, I'll go touch it. Ball was coming quicker, I'll go touch it. All the time in my head, in my head, in my head. And when I went into games, I looked back a lot of my goals. After that, a lot of it was very similar with the thing in my head. And I can only imagine that's what happened with the goal. Mm. It just came into me, practice it loads in training, touch it. At the target it's a brilliant explanation and you don't remember it but if I, if the way I've described it you must have looked at it again I've I watched it a couple of times I haven't yeah. described it falsely yeah. and I'm you know I'm, I'm hoping you're not going to be modest there it was exactly what you've touched on a bit like the kill the pace or don't or hit yeah. it first time Joe and you in the practice it is a good touch yeah it was you know, and at a moment as well I know you don't remember it but, but there was a lot of pressure mm. in that moment yeah you're not aware of it in the instant, probably? No, I was just, I'd missed a chance just before it that Vince... Had he saved it rather than you'd missed saved, it? Yeah, he, he pulled off a good save. And Vince, apparently, I didn't know this at the time, was you? Yeah. I, was, I was Vince's best man. And me and Jan, my wife, are godparents to him. Um, it's a terrible and George care. thing all yeah. over again, isn't it, really? Exactly. OK. Um, but, yeah, I've watched it back and, you know, that was a good touch. And that was, that was a decent finish as well. You know, Vince takes some stick... Um, about it and I give him some stick as well because 
looks as if he's pulled his hand away a little bit, which obviously he's not. <laughs> Come on, I'd say not. <laughs> and get it in, but as well. Does it take a? T- it doesn't. Doesn't take a touch. Nah, don't be stupid. D- no, so definitely. Yeah. Wait, no, I, I, the audio is failing here. Are you clear on whether it did or didn't? It definitely didn't. <laughs> and get it. I knew that anyway. I just but yeah, but Vince had saved before, and what a lot of people don't realise when Gillingham went two 0 up. Tony Pulis took off his two best players, two centre forwards, Carla Saba and Robert Taylor, right. who were probably the best, apart from being the goat and strike partner <laughs> in the division. You know, that they were lethal. They'd both scored in the game and were really dangerous. And at 2 0, Tony took them off. And I remember looking at a lot of the Gillian players high fiving each other, congratulating each other, even when Kevin Orlock scored in the 89th minute. And I'm thinking to myself, I remember the one thing I do remember on the pitch that, that we were going to get another chance here. And that team had I came back. That's in, that's in your head. That's actually echoing around yeah. your head. We'll get another chance yeah. here. Yeah. Love that. Um, that team had came back loads of times to score late on in games that season as well. And I just had a feeling. Um, at 2 0, I was devastated. I was on my haunches, Wembley, dream shattered, playing at Wembley, scoring at Wembley, the build up to it, the club's I, had you Trod the grass before? No, first time. Probably never been a tartan army man either. Well, no, I'd, I'd been there with Arsenal as a squad player, but never actually played in the pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, and it went from devastation, all your dreams are shattered, yeah. to being the lucky little shit that, that, that scored equalizer mm-hmm. to take it into to extra time. Not luck, hard work. Let me ask another one that's, that plays into all of that. You, you prepared for the playoff in the city of Manchester, mm-hmm. where it must have pissed everybody off that there was a carnival going on yep. and they'd Manchester United had won the treble in the most extreme yeah, the 95th we- minute the Wednesday before circumstances yeah. did, did people talk about that in the city dressing room we didn't as players no we were just so focused and you know talking about big characters at Arsenal we had a lot of characters in that in that team as well you know and Joe Joe was brilliant at managing the individuals because there was all sorts and those ways and sprays from everywhere, do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and Joe just had this brilliant knack of managing all individually brilliantly and putting his into a different team. Different strokes for different folks. Yeah, but when it came to the togetherness and everything else, he knew how to do that as well. Did you watch the game, the United game in the camp now? I did, I watched it at home. Do you think the rest of them did? Uh, I don't know. It's just an irrelevant. Just it was a blip. Yeah, we just didn't... Probably because we didn't want to think about it. <laughs> You know, but fair point of view from the blue side of Manchester, that, that, that week building up to the game was massive. You know, people queuing days to get tickets for Wembley and and the, the position the club was in at that time. The you club know, had never been in the third tier before. They hadn't, and it shouldn't have been. Well, it was complete mismanagement before. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and talking about Joe's man management when Joe first came in, I think there was fifty six pros. Fifty six in the club. Yeah, I mean, from the from the end of August, September. When I signed for City to the January, I had five different managers. Yeah. Which is just ridiculous, you know, when you think about it. There was a sign for Alan Ball, mm-hmm. God bless him, on the Friday, on the Sunday, he loses his job, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, cheers, thanks for that. Nice one. Uh, yeah, Asa Hartford, and Steve Koppel for 39 yeah. days. Steve wasn't keen on the job, he went quickly. Yeah, it was own volition. Then Phil Neal, well, actually, then. Frank Clark came in in January, so six managers the club had had. And what had happened, every manager that came in, they allowed them to bring in their own players. Nobody was overseeing it? No. So when Joe comes in, he's got 56. 56, when you think Premier League squads are 25 now. Mm -hmm. And and really elite managers 
talk about wanting short squads because yeah. it's easier to okay with injuries the elite managers probably want about 19 players mean, with a chance to take 4 or 5 kids, kids. yeah there was yeah. no chance for any of the kids to 56 there was, honestly at the, the Platte Lane at the old training ground there was 3 different first team changing rooms <laughs> you know there was the ones that Joe wanted to keep the ones that he probably wanted to keep but couldn't afford to keep and the ones he wanted to let go Whoa. and to manage that situation the atmosphere and bring stuff it was poison oh at times you know because it's impossible to get unity of purpose and yeah. unity of feeling there of course there. it is of course it is well, not when it's like that not when you've got a group of players who have been told that they don't want to be I'm not talking about two or three yeah I'm you're talking, talking about, about 23 yeah <laughs> yeah and for Joe I didn't know that I, I look back and after that. sort of managing myself uh-huh. you realise how brilliant he was at doing that you know I remember having a conversation with Joe in his office at Platt Lane and him telling me that Wigan wanted to sign me that he he needed to didn't want me to go Um he loved having me there, he loved what it was about, but he had to, it was simple, he needed to try and get some money in, and he needed to trim his squad, and I was one of the few players that he'd offers for, what did I think? And I went, are you being honest with me and saying that you want to keep me? And he went, yeah, I said, well, I'll stay. Wow, there's a sliding doors thing right there. This is in season one, yeah. because by the end of that season, mm? you're going to score against Wigan yeah. in the semi-final, put them out and go to yeah, Wembley. That's right, yeah, season before. So you, but in that discussion, even though you've said to Joe, I challenge you, you tell me the mm-hmm. truth here. Football is based, without being rude, football is based on a lot of untruths. Oh, bullshit. And, 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 and double dealing. Yeah. But, and bullshit. It is. And if we don't but say I, that, then but, we're, we're lying. But I just, I just felt... But it. you have to take that risk. You, I go back to your dad. Absolutely. When he says, as long as you're doing your best, because you've taken a risk on Joe, you don't yeah. know him that well. Yeah. He could be selling a line. And you could be sitting as player number 32 because he hasn't got everybody out in six yeah. months' time. Yeah. I can't yeah. But you've, you've been brave enough to go, I have, and I, I'm going to trust you. I back myself. Yeah. I thought, if he's going to give him the opportunity, I'll, I'll show him. And do you know what? If it doesn't, and don't forget, there was no transfer windows in, so he could move a majority of the time anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, well, if he does give him the opportunity and I show him and it still doesn't happen, mm-hmm. there'll still be something else there. If I don't get the opportunity, there'll still be something else there. Mm. But at least he's willing to give me this chance and I'll show him. Again, then I'm going to test you a little bit because the penalty shootout that you've earned for City, Gillingham don't do particularly well in it, but your uh, kick must have ticked you off because it's hit every part of the woodwork and not gone in. Honestly. Um, Against Vince again. I've never been as confident in my life of taking a penalty. Seriously. The week leading up to it and the Wigan game, because the two-legged Wigan game, because it was tight and the one at Main Road, we knew who was taking the penalties. Joe had us prepared. We ah. knew who was one, two, three, four, list. five. We were and taking the them after day. Wow. In training and everything else. Are you a believer in that? Because I've, I've seen it all in my time. I am, yes, but exact same as I wanted to do finishing on the Friday. <laughs> you know, for me, I needed to do that. Mm. Other people maybe not you know I, I do think it's a completely individual thing did you care where you came in the order of five ordered. I was honestly I was so confident to the point the three days leading up to I'd stayed out with Nicky Weaver and I would say Weaves because it's helping him as well I'm going to put the ball there mm. but don't cheat don't dive early but you know where it's gone I couldn't save one of them wow every penalty I took so you're hitting the side panel and yeah. I'm telling them where I'm putting it as well so when I've made that walk to go up to take the penalty in my head, I was like, bang. Joe used to say, you're like a tennis machine. Brilliant. <laughs> but looking back at the penalty now, without trying to get you off the hook, because, spoiler, City win. Where it strikes that right-hand post, it, there's two reasons it should go in. At that angle, it probably should just go straight into yeah. the opposite side panel. And the way it moves, it, they should cast... 
you know, Vince's heel and, and got in, to be honest with you. It was. I was devastated. You know, I wasn't until so confident. That's why I'm asking this question, yeah. because you didn't, you didn't look devastated, not one instant. Oh, I was. You looked as if you were an office worker who dropped his pen, and you go, you go like this, and because the guy before you took Gillingham's first one, and he's missed, and he's got his head in his hands. It's the scream by Moonch. And you know what, Graham? Probably the reason I didn't do that was because I knew we were still level. That's, that's what I'm talking you know, about mentality. Inside. I might be giving too much into this, yeah. but he told everybody, Gillingham, his coach, the other players, we're doomed. Yeah. And you were like, I'm ticked off. And you walked back and you got a big embrace from yeah. the fellas when you were back there. But you were walking back there. No big deal, right? It's all yeah. under control. I'm not weeping yeah. tears. I think in the tension of a moment yeah. where your teammates who aren't as sure as you they're going to hit the net, yeah. I think you've done them a wee favour there. Yeah. And I handed every confidence in the lads that were going up as well. But what... Help me, I'm not saying help me, but obviously they've missed theirs. Kevin Orlock scored. Mm-hmm. They've missed, I've missed, so we're still, pressure's still on them. And then they missed the next one. So from the time it took me to walk back for the penalty spot and then walking up and taking it, every emotion possible. I, I actually celebrated them missing the penalty probably just as much as I did <laughs> scoring my goal. Because I knew I was off the hook. Yeah, whatever happens yeah, now, I'm you know. And then Richard, Richard Edgell. Scored, so you know it's your it you, you know it's your day when Richard Edgehill scores any sort of. Goal. I, I'm 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 not aware of Richard's reputation <laughs> technically, but I'm beginning to gauge that yes. you feel that Brilliant. maybe that was his big moment technically. Yeah, it was. Okay, yeah, just about. Well, he loved the club. He kissed. He did. Actually. He did. And top boy. And then we, 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 did, did Nicky practice that run? You know, could he do it with a ball at his feet? I've never seen one run ever. And he's two, fast and two as quick as that he's fast and he's triple pass photographers yeah. and up the stand and down again do you know what I thought I was going to have to get a defib out <laughs> I swear to god because he's, he's ran that much right and I was the last one because I probably too nice I went to see Vince straight uh, away cause yeah, I'd be, yeah, and do you know he would have done the same thing as well yeah, yeah. Um, that's proper friendship um, and the big galoots running around Wembley. That's a brilliant word. So, that's, a great, that's the first time in about 52 interviews we've had the word galoot. <laughs> I love that. Um, but all the lads are on top of Nicky with the time I get. There's a big pile up. So, so I'm the last one. Yeah. And I've went down, I went like that, and I swear to God, it was like... <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a screaming pig in the ground. He couldn't breathe. It was that back because it's the only time and the quickest he's ran in his life. And, oh, it's, but, it's... But brilliant. And do you know what? Just on weaves, it's a... He would have been England's goalkeeper, I've no doubt about it, if he hadn't had his injuries. So he's a character, uh, Richard's a character. They all were. Help me a little bit, because, you know, you've, you've played with somebody, you're loved here for various different reasons, and I, th- and I suppose it's your part in the promotions, your devotion to the cause, your ability, your goals, attitude. Also, fans know who they like, yeah. I think. But there were others. Kinky? Georgie could not make you with your legs closed. Unbelievable ability. Talking about saying a bit of crying shame, a bit of crying. He should have played at a top club, but he'll probably admit himself that his his attitude wasn't the best on a day to day basis. Or at night, yeah, or at night, or away at South End on a Tuesday night. Ah. Mm. You know, mentality. Could, if you could great, have grafted a little bit of great, great kid, yeah. great kid, but just as in applying himself as he should have done. You know, and they, without speaking to us, you know, about six months ago, I think it was, 
in depth about it, it was probably a regret he's got now. You, when you talk about his ability, I mean, he genuinely was a magician. Me. He was a little git, honestly. He would <laughs> take the piss out of you in training. You, you knew what he was going to do, but you couldn't get anywhere near him. That, that's something in football where you yeah. know what somebody's going to do, yeah. you can't stop he it. Was, he was so talented, and uh, it's just such a shame. I know he went to Ajax and it didn't work out, but. And he did, he did have a sort of real cult status here. Was there a kind of fit between the club and the fans and the attitude and the sort of idea of Manchester City yeah. and Kinky at that time? Even Kinky? He probably shouldn't have got him in the first place, you know, for, for the player he was and, and where the club went. Well, it was Premier League when they signed him, but he was a phenomenal talent. He really was. George Weah? George was brilliant. Most came here, World Player of the Year. So humble. You know, you're sitting on the member. I think his first game is Stockport pre-season. You know, and I was even as you say, George, we have Stockport pre-season. Yeah, and it was. And it's there's something not quite. You know, and we're on the coach, and I can remember sitting there and thinking, okay, that's George Ware. <laughs> Just sort of sitting there with his headphones on. What, what is going on here? And then Joe named the team, and it was a pre-season game. He went up front, and Dickie and George. I'm thinking, this is surreal. <laughs> you know, it's, it was mental, but. Didn't quite work out for him, I think. Had, had, had injuries or age taken a toll? Or, or, or could you see in training what he was? Or yeah, yeah. Something? Yeah, you could tell in training. His first touch was just, you'd say, with Silky and mm. how he moved and a little dribbling and strength. Maybe that yard of pace that he used to have had, had gone a little bit. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't quite work out. I sort of tell a slightly different story. The week he left, we played Bradford at home. And Joe, I'd been on the bench, put George on the bench and started me. And I think George thought, and Dick was playing ahead of me, I've gone. <laughs> I'll just yeah, give up now. We played Bradford, I think we won 2 0, 2 1, I scored. And George left the week after. But what a brilliant, brilliant guy. You know how with young Jim Whitley, Jeff Whitley, a lot of youngsters in this school. Coming through from the, the ranks, yeah, eh? Yeah, he, he, he was thought of. And for them to train with him, but see how he handled himself, you know, mm-hmm. there was no ego, wow. no attitude, no nothing. It was just. The short time we know him, everybody will tell you the same thing that was here at that time. Just he's got a political life now, I think. Yeah, so very intelligent. I can't leave this now um, without trying to get you to share a little bit about your enjoyment about what what's happening at City at the moment. I, I, you're still a Celtic fan. Mm, I would, yeah, that's gone by the way. Yeah, yeah. you should really be a died in the wool Arsenal fan. You should. Uh, I have a soft spot. But it's, it's city for you, isn't it? It is, and it's... Um, so, well, I've been rude. MD that... Why? why? Yeah, I've been asked this, but... Sorry. You, you know, at that time where, you know, other people laugh at the, the pinned tweet in my Twitter, and it's like, my kids used to ask me, where were you when you were shit? But why did the fans sing that? And I used to say to the kids, I was playing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and that is a true story we were at the game at the Etihad City fans are singing Real Real and Shit and my boys have asked me why are they singing that and I was like well because that's when I was playing sort of thing. Yeah. And, and we were by the way for a majority of it um, the club uh, I'm not going to speak on behalf of, of the GOAT and Kevin Orlock and Nicky Weaver and all the players around that time if you ask them they'll probably tell you that they're City fans now as well uh, the supporters are phenomenal there's, there's no supporters like them I know people give them stick now saying they're jumping on the back of the, the success and everything else, that's bullshit you know, I remember going to Port Vale away on a Tuesday night, Colchester's old ground on a Tuesday night York City away and Man City fans taking over the place and backing you to the hill 
Um, and it actually seemed the worse we got as a team, and the further we went down, the better the supporters. That's, you got right to the heart of what we think about football in Britain yeah. there, haven't you? Yeah. You know, backs against the wall, the worse it gets, the more we unify. 100%. take over little grounds, not in a violent way, but like, we're here, we're for you. Not just we're the grounds, the cities. Yeah. You know, I guarantee you there was more Man City fans, fans than the home fans. Than home fans. Not every fan would have, in football would have noticed this going yeah. on around them. No, and some people turn up for the paycheck, do their best, and go away, yeah. irrespective of that fan. And you know, and it's an old cliche, but and it sounds a little bit cheesy, but what we did as a team, or I would come out and say, or Andy Morrison or the big characters and saying, "Say, look, we've seen them out there. Mm. They're here for us. Mm-hmm. Let's go and give them something back." Mm. And the, but the club it just it got a hold of me. It's, it's hard to explain that. It's a perfect answer. And I think... Uh, don't, don't we all wish, whoever's listening to this, that we had something like that in our lives? Yeah. It won't always be Man City. Yeah. It won't always be football or sport. Absolutely. But don't you want something to take yeah, hold yeah. of you and your soul and, and, and give your life a little bit extra yeah, spice and meaning? And even, look, I'm doing a lot more work off the pitch for the club now, and, and I love it. I love... I, know, I said the other day, then somebody said, I love working for the club I love. You know, and it's great. It's, and especially the way the club is now and I'll, I'll tell you something about the owners as well they are fantastic because it would have been so easy to come into the club and clear everything and change everything you know there's I don't know numbers wise but there's a lot a lot of people working at the club now in big jobs proper jobs within the club that were at Main Road so they've made sure that they've yeah the club's wanting to be the best massive globally winning things and everything else but they've made sure they've kept the core of the club Mm -hmm. here and I think that's something that's that's quite special and in doing so an attempt to because the owners don't need to win these employees over to keep something of the the character the soul the character the soul and the core of the club and that relationship that Manchester City have always had with their supporters is is still there not only did I come into this admiring Paul Dickoff I've come out of it admiring and liking him still more we've been talking to a gent that was the beginning of you with Paul Dickoff. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.